All right, good morning, everyone. It's 10 o'clock, and it's time to get started with our Bible study. So good to see you today. Welcome if you're in person or online with us today. I do have my uh, my two streams up, uh, the uh, Facebook page and the website at Faith. And it's, there's a little bit of a delay, but I can see it. And if anybody is there and wants to say hello or ask a question uh, as we're going through, then the questions are not just for you who are here in person. Although, you know, I, maybe I should just put the challenge out there for those who are online because I bring my computer each time. I know Pastor Dan doesn't do it, Pastor Adam doesn't do it, but I like to. Um, but nobody ever asked me questions online. So now's your challenge. Now you have to ask. Uh, and I'll watch. And, uh, and yeah, we'll see. It can't just be Marty asking questions all the time. <laughs> or Dennis. Or, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um, we're in Galatians. Last week, Pastor Dan did the introduction to Galatians with you. And so went through the book of Acts, chapter 13 and 14, and um, looked at the the historical background, anyway, of the book of Galatians and what was going on in Paul's life. Galatians is written by Paul. Okay, let's make sure everyone is on the same page with that. And now we're going to dig into the actual text. And if you know me, I, you know, I could get really bogged down in one verse. So it's a good thing that the schedule has me doing just five verses today. So we have the next hour to talk about the first five verses. You can see that on the top of the page, Galatians 1, 1 to 5, where Paul greets the churches of Galatia, emphasizing the divine source of his apostolic commission. That's kind of a, a big thing. Um, just before we get started, I'm just going to point this out to you. Last week, Pastor Dan, at the end of his handout, had some blanks to fill in if you were with us last week. And so on the back side of your handout at the top, I sort of reproduced that for you. So just uh, in case you weren't here or um, or you misplaced your handout from last week or or you just recycled it, I don't know. But anyway, as we're going through, just, you know, there are three sections Pastor Dan talked about. Uh, the personal section, the first two chapters, the doctrinal section, the second the middle two chapters and the practical section the last two chapters and we're in uh, obviously that first section and the first half of that section which is chapter one and the first portion of that first chapter uh today and where that where paul's talking about his apostolic authority that he is truly an apostle so we're going to we're going to dig into that. But before we do, I um, always like to pray that the Holy Spirit would guide our time. And so I invite you to pray with me as we as we begin. Gracious Lord, good morning. Uh, we're so grateful that you have brought us together today. Uh, those who are studying with us online, those who are um, even watching and, and participating after uh, by watching the recording later. And those who are here in person, and uh, we're, just, we're just thankful for your word. Thankful that you guide us. Uh, you give us that, that Holy Scripture that will um, encourage us, challenge us, guide us. And I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just rest upon us during this time so that we might learn and grow in our knowledge of Christ and especially in our faith in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so as I like always to do, the, just read the section that we're going to look at today. Yes, ma'am. We have handouts, yes. There you go. And if you're online, then we have a handout. There should be a link there for you on where to find that. And uh, it's on our website under resources, downloads, Bible study. And uh, yeah, you can find it there on our website. So let's look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Paul, 
an apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, it seems like he could just stop right there. Amen, right? <laughs> just stop. Amen. Um, you might notice uh, in our worship that at least a couple of our pastors, as in, you know, in the past too, I, I've never been in this habit, so I don't do it, but... Um, but many pastors in, in our church body and in this church um, will begin sermons, right? With grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? It's, it's this, um, uh, like, I don't know, it's it, it, um, a way of launching into the Word, right? It's, uh, you know, Paul's about to share some things of challenge and encouragement. And so he first brings his green. Now, this is a pretty typical formula or format for introducing a letter in the ancient world, uh, both in the Greco-Roman world. So you might think of the, uh, the Mediterranean world from Italy or Rome, uh, Greece and Turkey, that northern part of the Mediterranean and the North Africa, you might think of that as the Roman world, and the Near East, which would be uh, Israel and Syria, and what is current day um, uh, current day Jordan and uh, Lebanon, all so that 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 territory, right? The Near East. Um, it's pretty typical to begin a letter with this formula. I wrote it there on your handout for you. X to Y, greetings. And we have a salutation in our letters, well, at least when we used to write letters. <laughs> Maybe some of you still do. I don't know. Yeah. Um, dear so-and-so. And then you write the letter, and then with love or sincerely, uh, you know, best wishes, however you end it, and then your name. There, there's a certain formula that you write letters with. Um, now it's texting where it's shorthand and even the, you don't even spell out whole words. You just like, you know, probs instead of probably or something like that. You know, it's like this shorthand speech. That That's the, the etiquette nowadays. But back in the Roman world, back in the ancient Near East world, it was X to Y, greetings, and then the letter. And, um, and so you get the that what we would say the signature of who is writing, not at the end, but at the very beginning, right? Um, now that's a pretty standard formula, but Paul especially liked to expound on it. And there's some of his salutations. This one's five verses. Some salutations are even longer and go into uh, much more explanation. But I think all of them give some hints as to what's coming in the letter, what he's going to be talking about in the letter. So uh, in this letter of Galatians in particular, um, the uh, first and the third elements of this, right, the X and the greeting part, are especially expanded on, or what you might say is that they're magnified or amplified. So it's not just Paul to the churches of Galatia, but Paul, an apostle, and then sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So he's expanding on that and amplifying that. And the third piece, it's not just greetings, but grace and peace to you 
And not just from me, but from God, Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to dig into some of these pieces um, little by little. And of course, as I said, um, if you have um, if you have questions, just stop me along the way. And thank you to Lori who uh, gave us the first question. Um, hey. Uh-oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry for those online, Revan, just to just to make make sure everything's okay here. Everything's okay. That's good. All right. Um, all right. Well, um, so so Lori gave us the first question, although uh, she just answered my challenge to actually have a question. She said, who's buried in Grant's tomb? <laughs> so thank you, Lori, for that. Uh, appreciate the bringing a little bit of levity to, uh, to the moment here. Um, very much appreciated. Um, all right. So let's look at this first piece, Paul, an apostle. Now, it's actually not unusual for Paul to actually introduce himself as an apostle. He, uh, he does this in his other letters as well, but each of his letters is a little bit unique, and Paul here emphasizes, um, let's say, like, look, look some of the other letters, uh, this first bullet point under Paul, an apostle. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, Paul emphasizes a slave of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle, right? So he emphasizes, now in your English translations, by the way, normally this doesn't say slave, it'll say servant. But uh, the word that's used there actually is slave. It's like the same word that if somebody were um, enslaved, but it's not like, like African slavery, where we brought people over from Africa and put them in chains, that kind of, but this would be like indentured servitude. Uh, someone who, who's just indebted to and enslaved to another person. So in Romans, Paul brings some emphasis to this, that in uh, myself, I am indebted because what does he talk about later in Romans? The fact that Christ has paid the price for the debt I have, and God made Christ an atoning sacrifice for my sins. You know, all of sin falls short of the glory of God, um, but are justified freely by his grace, right? Through the redemption, that redemption word is a slave term. When we're redeemed in Christ, then we're bought out of our indebtedness, our slavery, and so you see the, the hint of what's going on in the letter of Romans. In the very first verse, he's given a hint of something he's going to talk about later in the book. Uh, the book of Philemon, Paul says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, what is the book of Philemon? He, he's actually, uh, Paul is writing a letter to a man named Philemon regarding Philemon's slave, Onesimus. And Paul is urging him, oh, I'm sending him back to you with this letter, but I urge you to set him free because he's a brother in Christ. Like, put, put aside his debt and set him free. So he's talking about being a prisoner, now encouraging his um, fellow Christian brother to, uh, to let go of that, that debt. Yeah, you want to close that door, Cindy? That's fine. Yeah, if you, you might have to pull the um, thing at the bottom. Yeah, there's a little bit of noise going on over there, so just let that. I'll close that. Um, 
So the point being that when when Paul is um, bringing this uh, this letter to one of the, one of the churches, he's previewing a little bit of what he's going to be talking about uh, later in the letter in this in this opening. Okay. Um, now the word apostle. Just uh, look at this. Before I get that, um, so sorry, I'm a little bit distracted by what's going on over there. Um, yeah. But um, when Paul's saying an apostle sent not from men nor by man, this is something he's going to really be getting into later in the letter. Because um, there's there's some issue going on where the Christians of Galatia have been told something by others. Remember Pastor Dan last week was talking about Judaizers. Judaizers were Jewish Christians who felt like, well, every Christian needs to follow the law that's given by Moses and Every male needs to be circumcised. And you're talking about Gentile Christians who have not been circumcised because that was not part of their custom um, as when they were growing up. And so in order to be converted into this faith, you need to be circumcised. And there are other things like this that they're emphasizing. You have to follow all the food laws and all these ceremonial laws and uh, because that's our heritage. And that God gave that in his word. And so um, they they were pressing this and, and that same group of Judaizers are apparently questioning Paul's authority to speak and teach. And so Paul is having to defend his apostolic authority. So when he says, an apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by Christ, and God the Father, there's an emphasis there, right? Which he's going to get into later in this chapter. Past verse 5. But I'll leave that for Pastor Dan next week to talk about uh, the next section on that. Uh, Makes sense? So you see, that this is the kind of uh, thing that's happening in this salutation. Of why Paul is expanding on it to be a little bit more than just a, uh, Paul to the churches of Galatia. Welcome, greetings, you know, that kind of thing. All right. And the word apostle, uh, let's pause there for just a second. Um, in a broader sense, an apostle is just someone who is sent by another, like like an ambassador. So, you know, we, we send people over to other countries as ambassadors, and they are given authority by the president to speak uh, in his name, on behalf of the president, uh, to leaders of other nations, right? And that's sort of what an apostle does. An apostle speaks with the authority of uh, the person who's sending him or her. And um, you might, you might the, the word, the actual word in Greek is simply sent one, one who is sent. Now that's a broader sense. Of course, in the New Testament, there's a narrower sense. You might think of this, think of that as apostle small a, whereas um, apostle big A is sort of select few men who are specially commissioned by God uh, for starting the church, they are the eyewitnesses of Christ, right? They're like the 12, 11 of them anyway, are apostles, although they're all 12, even Judas Iscariot is in the gospels called an apostle. Uh, now, Paul is claiming to be an apostle, big A, but he wasn't one of those who was an eyewitness of the life and resurrection of Jesus. So how's that? Um, 
that's kind of what we're going to get into a little bit next week as he tells a little bit more about um, his apostolic authority. Uh, again, we're just sort of in that, that salutation, but there are hints of what's coming already, right? Sent not from men or by man. Um, it's kind of important, right? Why, why, is he, why is it so important that he's sharing that credential? Yeah, so a little bit of a, uh, there's, there's a, I, maybe a more direct authority, I guess, is what you're, uh, you know, I'm trying to think about how to describe or summarize what, what you just said, too, at the same time as trying to uh, describe. Yeah, I'm thinking like if... Uh, if the president sent someone directly to your house to speak, right? Okay, not that, you know, I don't want to get political, but, you know, some of you don't want the president to send someone to your house. Pick your favorite president, okay? There's like either the, the current one or the next one or the, the last one, whatever. But, you know, pick your favorite. But the president sends somebody directly to your house, Um with an invitation, let's say, an invitation to the White House, some sent someone directly to your house. It's not likely the president is going to come directly to your house, but I might send someone. How does that come across versus the president sent someone to someone else's house and that person who is he said, you know, why don't you also invite Dennis? <laughs> you know, and so as, as the messenger, the ambassador, the apostle is going to someone else's house, they also invite Dennis along. How does that come across? He's not that Okay, be so yeah. Okay, so the one who got the invitation then comes over to your. Maybe that's a better way you're saying yeah. So the person who got the invitation comes over and says, um, "Hey, I'm I'm invited to the White House. Why don't you come along?" Yeah, um, yeah. Either way, the, the the whole point is like, yeah, it's secondhand. And you're going, you're going. Am I really invited? Like. Did they really have the authority to invite me or does, is, is that really the president's will or is this, you know, so all, you know, what we're, again, what we're going to get into next week, even more in more depth. Um, this was a big deal in the early church when it, when it came to actually deciding what books, what letters, what gospels were going to be included in the New Testament. It's called the canonization of the New Testament. Well, why would we include 1 Corinthians? Why would we include this letter to the Galatians and the Romans and Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians and Titus and why are we going to include those? Because one of the one of the first stipulations about the writings that were included in the New Testament was that they would be writings of the eyewitnesses. I mean, these are the people who saw it with their own eyes. Like John says in First John one, he says, "What we have seen with our own eyes, what we heard with our ears, what we touched with our own hands." We pass on to you. And so these eyewitnesses are 
the ones whose word is trusted and then so included in the New Testament. Well, what about Paul then? Paul wasn't one of the original disciples. He came later. In fact, he was persecuting the church. But this is where Paul, you know, as we get into uh, Galatians a little bit, he has to defend why he has a legitimate claim to the title apostle. Because Christ himself came to him. So where it says in verse 1, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. There's a reason why Paul adds that part. Not just Jesus Christ and God the Father. Why does he say who raised him from the dead? March? Partly because of the history as Saul, yes. But what happened when he was when he was no more as Saul than Paul? What happened? Yes, he was struck down by Yeah, more specifically, the risen Jesus. Right? Not not just Jesus, but the Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Right? He's he's the risen Christ. And he appears to Paul. Now, I've never had Jesus show up where I saw him. Most every Christian, almost every Christian on the planet has never seen Jesus. But Paul could say, I've seen the risen Lord. And so... uh, So the resurrection is not just a central message for the Christian faith, which it is. I think it's the centerpiece of our Christian faith, Christ risen from the dead. But it's also the central argument for Paul's apostleship. The risen Christ came to me. In 1 Corinthians 15, he, he, calls, he says this as, as one abnormally born. <laughs> right? that, that's his expression in 1 Corinthians 15, as one abnormally born. Which means he was, it wasn't like one of the uh, first apostles uh, who were eyewitnesses, but he did get to see Jesus um, as, uh, as one just like the eyewitnesses did, right? got to to witness the 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 resurrected christ all right so um debbie has a couple questions and uh so um and i think they're related paul does not call himself a disciple what is the difference between an apostle and disciple anybody else wonder this you think you know okay what is the difference between a disciple and apostle Okay, um, so so Marge is taking a stab at this. We'll see if she's right. Uh, so Marge is saying, oh, the 12 were disciples, but then after Pentecost, they were sent out to teach and preach and share the message of the gospel. And so when they were sent, they became apostles. That's right. I, that's what I'm thinking. That's what you're thinking. Okay. Um, yeah, what do you think? We're all disciples, okay? Yeah, but we were talking about the 12. So, yeah, so, so we're, let's talk specifically about the 12. Yeah, okay. Um, what, what do you think about Marge's theory? It was actually the, the follow-up was before the actual uh, sending up was before. And it's Matthew 20. The 20 is where they were sent. Oh, before Pentecost. That, the, the sending was, okay, well, that's true. Um, however, I'll even push back even more and I'll say, well, they were sent out two by two, and not just the 12 were sent out as quote-unquote apostles, even though 
you know, that's Apostle small a, not big A. Um, I think disciple, just like apostle, can be can be defined in a broader sense, like Marjorie saying, we're all disciples. And disciple, that word, in, um, the, the word behind it just means that a learner, someone who studies and learns, like a... Um, you have a rabbi who is a teacher and a disciple who's a learner. Following the rabbi, learning his life, um, learning his way of interpreting the scriptures and that kind of thing. That's that's a disciple, a learner. So in a broad sense, we are all learning. We're all learners. We're learning from the teacher, big T, Jesus, uh, the teacher. So we're all disciples. In a narrower sense, then there were those who were called the disciples, right? The 12. And sometimes in the gospels, the gospel writers actually intermix or um, uh, used synonymously disciple with the 12. Sometimes disciple was synonymous with synonymous with the 12 and sometimes it wasn't. And so like, okay, who are we talking about here? Is this the, all of the followers of Jesus or is this specifically the 12, you know, so, um, depends on the context. Um, and I would say the, the difference between a disciple and an apostle is like, you could be both, right? You can be a learner and one who is sent, an apostle. Uh, sometimes the term disciple and apostle are used interchangeably and synonymously. And sometimes depending on what you're wanting to emphasize. Are you wanting to emphasize the fact that this person is learning just like all the rest of us? Or is this like they're sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening and learning? Or are, is the emphasis on their missionary purpose and they're being sent out? Um, yeah, in essence, so Paul is not, so Paul, I guess, you know, to answer Debbie's question, Paul is, um, assuming that he, like everybody else, is a disciple, um, that's, not what the, that's not what the argument or the, um, the pushback is from the Judaizers. They're not pushing back on Paul's legitimate claim to learn from Jesus. Anyone can learn from Jesus. What they're pushing back on is his authority to speak um, the message of Christ, to be able to uh, to speak this apostolic truth. And when, uh, and I think this, this is why it's so important, because what we find later, like in chapter two, is there's a conflict between Paul and Peter. And Peter was, Peter was shrinking back under the pressure of the Judaizers saying, oh, yeah, you, you know, um, you, you should be circumcised. And, and I'm not sure if I should eat with you because you're not following the right uh, kosher laws and, and that kind of thing. And so he was shrinking back a little. And Paul confronted him on this. And there was the one of the earliest controversies of the church happens in. So Pastor Dan last week went with you through um, Acts 13, right? And a little bit of Acts 14. The very next chapter, so Acts 13 and 14 is Paul's first missionary journey. And he goes through what is uh, present-day Turkey and Lystra and Derby and all that as a missionary into the church of Galatia. Uh, he comes back and there's this controversy bubbling up because those who are Jewish Christians are insisting that the Gentile Christians follow certain laws and procedures. And Paul's saying, no, they, and he's a Pharisee. He was, he grew up trained as a Pharisee. He's a good, solid Jewish Christian, but he's preaching to all these Gentiles. And he's saying, they're coming to faith apart from the law, which is right. And he's, he, and then what he talks about in uh, Galatians one and two is I, after Christ appeared to me, he came to me. After that, then I studied the scriptures again. Spent years studying the scriptures. And then I come back and 
Um, now there's this controversy. So in Acts 15, there's a debate that happens in the church in Jerusalem over what is recommend, what is required of those who are Gentile uh, people coming to faith in Christ. And they say, no, you don't have to be circumcised. And then Paul's second missionary journey and his third missionary journey are, uh, well, second one in particular, is taking this letter that the Jerusalem church wrote together, uh, stipulating, you know, avoid meat, sacrifice, idols, no sexual immorality. Otherwise, you know, th that's it. Faith in Jesus. And take this letter. And Paul took that, that authority then. But in Galatians, he's still defending that that right. So because of that controversy that's bubbling up in the church, uh, Paul has to, uh, has to, uh, has to defend his right to speak, right? His, his authority as one who has received from Christ himself. Just like Peter was an eyewitness and James was an eyewitness, and Matthew is an eyewitness, right? Uh, Paul is having to defend that. Um, so I don't know, Debbie, if I answer your question, but um, an apostle, disciple, that, that's, why, uh, that's why he's using the word apostle and not disciple, because his authority is being questioned. Yeah. Go ahead, Ken. What are pastors? Oh, darn good people. Thank you so very much. Yes. <laughs> what, so what are, what are pastors? Um, are they disciples? Are they apostles? Um, so yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I'm first and foremost, a learner, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, the, the New Testament, Paul uses a couple of different terms. One is overseer. Another one is deacon or a diakonos, a deacon. Um, using those, or elder, using some of those terms somewhat interchangeably about what, what a pastor's role or a bishop or supervisor or overseer role is. Um, so we, we have that. A pastor is a bit of a an overseer of the church, a teacher. Um, there's some, some pastors and some non-pastors, I would argue, who have the gift of apostleship, but not apostles big Ed, but have sort of gift of um, starting new things, almost like an entrepreneurial spirit, spirit, for the sake of the church, there's some people who just said so. This um, starting and planting, and uh, you know, courageously planting new seeds—that kind of apostolic kind of uh, mindset. So there's, but that's not just restricted to pastors. That's that that can be in anyone. Um, just like the gift of teaching can be in a pastor, and a pastor can not have the gift of teaching, right? And have some other gifts. So um, I don't know if that helps to answer that question, but yeah, what, what are we? A lot of different things, I suppose. But first and foremost, disciples. Yeah. Ken? The other Ken. <laughs> oh, yeah. So <clears throat> did, did she have that right? I would say it wasn't that the, the, uh, it wasn't that necessarily the disciples became apostles at Pentecost, uh, I think. Yeah, I mean. And my question quickly is, yeah. were they ever referred to as apostles until they were sent out? Yeah, so, yeah, that's a good question, Marge. Were, the, were those 12 referred to as apostles before they were sent out? Yes. However, Remember that, that like when it actually happened um, is here in the late 20s, early 30s AD. 
And when the story was written about them was like 30 years later, let's say. So the gospels are telling about the events. And they, so it's post Pentecost. And so when it, before they're sent out, um, this, this is how the gospels say it. Um, Jesus called to himself these 12, which he named or which he designated apostles. Okay. But is the word apostle because it's telling, you know, sort of recalling back to the story and it's already after the fact? Or was he already calling them apostles in that first day? Yeah. 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 yeah so, um, I think, uh, gosh, um, yes, it's really difficult. I feel like you're getting the, the nitty gritty, like splitting hairs or something here. Uh, like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um, because part of it is just like a practical thing. You know, they're called apostles because they're sent. At the same time, early, early, early in the church, they were designated as apostles, big A. Now, Jesus didn't call them that, as far as we know. He didn't say, hey, you know, Apostle Peter, you know, Apostle Matthew, you know, he didn't, you know, like we say, Pastor Aaron or Pastor Dan or something like that. He wasn't calling them that. He called them by their name or by a nickname like Peter. But um, but they were referred to that almost like a, uh, a title of respect and reverence and authority in the early church. Yeah. So, I don't know. Does it really matter in the end? Yeah, that's a good question. It's, yeah, so that's the big thing, Leon. It's it's really about, especially for Paul here, it's about the authority that, that he has. Yeah. All right. Um, wow. See, good thing we only have five verses because I get bogged down in this stuff so much. Um. Let's look at uh, back side of your sheet, um, point two, uh, point B, Paul's blessing to the, to the Galatians. I mentioned that Paul really magnifies or amplifies two of those pieces, right? X, Y, and greetings, the X and the greetings part, uh, he really amplifies. And uh, we talked quite a bit about this first part, now the third part. So verses three to five, where he's talking about grace and peace to you. Now, the normal greeting at the beginning of a letter in the Greco-Roman culture, so a Greek letter, let's say, the normal greeting is with the word rejoice or greetings, the same same word, um, which is chirine in the Greek. Okay, uh, The normal greeting at the start of a Jewish letter is shalom, peace. Paul uses grace and peace. Now, Chirine and the word for grace, which is charis, are uh, not directly related, but somewhat related. So grace and peace, it's almost like he's combining these two. And sometimes, like I mentioned earlier, it's grace, mercy, and peace. So he even amplifies it even more. But um, it's almost like he's, he's blending a little bit of the Grace and uh, peace that are coming from uh, both Greek and Jewish cultures. Um, grace, just think of this as God's undeserved and unconditional favor. I always think of grace as getting what you don't deserve. You don't earn it. You don't buy it. You can't win it. You, right? It's just God gives it. It's a gift. That's grace. A gift. And peace is, think about this as there's reconciliation between us and God. And because there's reconciliation with us and God, there's also then reconciliation with brothers and sisters. So there's a peacefulness. Grace and peace, that's, that's what Paul says uh, to begin from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I mentioned this 
a little bit earlier, it's not Paul's not just saying grace and peace to you, period. As if it's coming from himself alone. He's saying this as grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That comes with a little bit more oomph, doesn't it? Wouldn't you say? A little bit more, uh, I don't know, a little bit, a little bit more weight to it. It's not just Paul saying it. He's actually speaking for God. I'm bringing you grace and peace from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you think about that? It has teeth, yeah. Yeah. Authority, for sure. Question, question away. Oh, um, it sounded like Paul ra- or God raised Paul from the dead. Oh, because him is not capitalized. You'll you'll actually find this in almost all the English translations nowadays. Um, that him referring to God or Christ is not capitalized. Most of the English translations do not capitalize him or he. Um, then we could argue the, the merits of that. However, just, so, so there's no confusion. And someone else said that, oh yeah, that's what it sounded like. So, you know, you were hearing the same thing. And it might be because we kind of broke it up a little bit instead of reading it straight through. I mean, I read it in the beginning, but just listen to the way it says this. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him. He didn't say who raised me from the dead because this is from Paul, right? Who raised, but you're thinking, well, it's almost like Paul's saying this in the third person. He's saying, Paul, who raised him now is it because it's not capitalized or is it because you're hearing it as paul is speaking in the third person a little bit of both yeah um however then if you look at verse six let's say and this will be the sort of the spirit and flavor of it um throughout he says i right i am astonished so he's using the first person and um so I, I can see where it sounds like, well, maybe the salutation is a different kind of thing where he's sort of, um, he, he's introducing who's this letter from, almost like it's, this, this is who it's from, and now I'm going to s- speak it from my own voice, right, after the salutation. Yeah. Um, interesting. <laughs> You're capitalizing in your Bible, just to make sure. Okay, let's be clear. Um yeah, and it's, so it's not so much, and here's the other thing with it as well. Um, the there's, there's a way in the Greek, so, so that you would be really clear that it definitely is talking about Jesus and not Paul in that, raised him from the dead. Um, there's a way of doing this in the Greek where if you're not talking about the nearest him, you would say something like, who raised that one? Which means that, like, there are two two words here. One is Paul, one is Jesus. And then if him, who's him referring to? Is it him, this one, or that one? It's like, is it the nearest one or the farthest one? And it's talking about the nearest one, unless otherwise stated. So so Jesus is the one that's closest, and that's the what we call the antecedent, right? The, the, the one who's being referred to by the pronoun him is Jesus. Yeah. Because Paul's still alive, right? He hasn't been raised from the dead. 
Now, in the spiritual sense, he's been raised from the dead. But is yeah. So, but not in the physical resurrection sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but when Paul's talking about raised from the dead, generally, um, I don't know of another place where he's referring to. Well, yeah, I guess there are some places. Generally, when he's talking about being raised from the dead, he's talking about the physical resurrection. Yeah. I saw a hand over here out of the side of my, out of my. Oh, so, yeah. So some Bibles, yeah, like the NASB has him capitalized. Yeah. This is where you get into some controversy, like when it, the, like spirit is capitalized. Is that talking about an individual person's spirit or is that the, the Holy Spirit? And in the original language, none of it's capitalized or it's all capitalized. The original is all capitalized. Like every letter, it's like, it's, it's like reading a letter that's every word and every letter is in capital letters, right? Uh, that's how it was originally written. Um, so there is no capitalized or uncapitalized. The fact that one is capitalized is in essence, a commentary by the translator saying the context leads me to believe that at spirit, big S is implied here as in Holy spirit is implied here or son, big S or he big H, you know, like, God, the man upstairs kind of thing. Like he, Jesus Christ is implied here, you know, that kind of thing. So there's a, there's a certain commentary that's, in, that's embedded in that. Yeah. So yeah, it is true. So Richard just said, uh, he believes that when it was first written, they did not even leave spaces between the words. Yes. So the original, it was, I've seen, I've seen the manuscripts of this and I've seen chiseled in stone in the city of Ephesus, for instance, um, words that, that just run together. Uh, so, and in fact, it'll get to the end of a line and you'll be in the middle of a word and you don't have a little dash like we do to suggest, oh, that word is continued on the next line. No, they, they just get to the end of the line and they start with the next one right in the middle of the word. Even if it's like we have certain rules where it'll break in between two consonants or after the vowel before the next consonant, right? So we have certain rules. Oh, no, no, no rules like that. I just get it could be one letter and then the rest of the word in the following line or whatever, just because that's the space that they had to, to chisel it in or to write it in the space. And so, yeah, um, so they're. <laughs> When did that convention change? Um, something like the second century, third century. Yeah. All right. We got seven more minutes. Dun, dun, dun. Any other questions, comments? I really have only one more bullet point that I, I could probably take the rest of our time, but maybe not. I don't know. March, go ahead. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so the question is, yeah, so the question is, um, so someone who became a Christian, studying it, at least, at least seeking and open to it, okay, a seeker, yeah, you might say someone who is exploring the Christian faith, says, okay, so I've become a Christian and I have eternal life, right? Something to look forward to eternal life. But what is there for me here and now? You know, yeah, besides persecution and suffering, uh, which is true. And, and you said, well, the, um, the peace and the grace and the joy, like you, you, could, you could be totally under persecution and pain and still have joy, right? You still have peace, even... Uh, in the midst of suffering, like uh, 
Paul and Silas who were beaten, thrown in prison, and they're singing hymns of praise to God, right? In, in Philippi, in Acts chapter 16. Um, yeah, always interesting. But yeah, so, so that you don't know that it necessarily came across, but but it's true. I mean, so like when Paul is saying grace and peace to you, um, he's praying that that's what the Christians of Galatia know, right? That they know this peace that comes from God. And um, no matter what they are enduring or suffering in this world, that they have that peace. Yeah. Yeah, so, so someone might have joy in life, but, yeah, recognizing it, recognizing where it comes from because of, yeah, because of Christ. Yeah. Let me just look at this last bullet point here. Um, under the, the this last verse, uh, or not, not last verse, but in verse 4, when it's taught, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. This is something that I find fascinating. I, it would be interesting to do even deeper study on this, but um, notice that Christ rescues us not from the world. He's not taking us out of the world as if to say, well, I'm going to rescue you from this material world and I'm going to take you to heaven and the spiritual place somewhere. But he's actually, he's rescuing us from the present evil age. Like the, in the whole history of the world, from creation to eternity, there is the present evil age that we're in and the same world will be. So I was, I was thinking about this, like, um, let, let's say I have my wedding ring, which is the exact ring that my wife gave me and put on my my ring finger the day we got married, September 13th, 1997. Okay, so this is the same ring. Let's say that I dropped it in the lake and it corroded because it was underwater. And then it was discovered and given back to me. But it's all corroded. So I don't really know that I want to wear it because it's, you know, it's kind of messed up. It's not very pretty. Um, but I want this one. What am I going to do with it? get it cleaned up. <laughs> I want to, I want to restore this ring. I don't want a new ring. I want this one. This ring restored has a different meaning than just giving me a different ring. Having this world restored is different than saying God is going to pluck us out of this world and plant us somewhere else. So there's a difference, I think, when Paul is saying he's rescued us from this present evil age. He's, it's, I make this, this, uh, this point emphatically whenever I can, especially at time Easter, that these same bodies are the bodies that will rise from the dead. It's not that God is going to remove us from our physical body and take us to heaven. No, he's going to raise our dead bodies. That's a big deal. And the same world that we're in. Now, don't get me wrong. It'll be utterly transformed. And so restored that it'll be almost unrecognizable to us because it'll be so pristine the way it was intended at the beginning before the fall of the garden. But it's the same world, restored and made new. And Paul is emphasizing that. Now, he's also saying um, he gave himself 
to rescue us from this present this present evil age, not like it is just something that is to come, but it's something that Christ has already done for us. He has already rescued us from this present evil age. You might still suffer and know persecution, even death in this present evil age, but it's like we, we already have one foot in the renewed world, right? Uh, so Jesus says this in John chapter 5. He says, whoever hears these words of mine, believes the one who sent me, has eternal life. He has crossed over from death to life. That's what Jesus says, John 5, 24 and 25. So already, you have faith in Jesus, you've already crossed over from death to life. So you, you are already standing in the new world. You just can't see it with your eyes yet. What if I'm cremated? What about it? What about cremation? Yeah. So you're going to spend eternity in the same body, but this body is destroyed and uh, and cremated. I, God made everything out of nothing, right? Yep. I think you can figure that out. <laughs> It'll be the same body raised from the dust. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah. And that again, that's our faith, right? So um, again, Paul, in other words, Paul is not talking about delivering us out of the material world, but rescuing us from the evil that dominates the present time. So we're currently, uh, you know, under the thumb of evil. And, and yet at the same time, we are already lifted from, and that thumb of, of evil is lifted off of us, that, that uh, shroud, the, the darkness of the world has already been uh, defeated. We're just waiting for for that to be made known to our eyes, right? So I think about the the song. Um, uh, I think it's it is well with my soul, right? Um, and lo, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. That's the one I'm thinking of, right? That, um, that's, that's it as well, right? Um, and Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. That that's the that's the idea. Right now, we know it by faith. Then we will know it by sight. It's already true of us that we have eternal life. You are already living in your resurrected body. You just can't see it yet. <laughs> like just long for that day, right? Come, Lord Jesus, so we can see our resurrected body. Uh, it's it's already ours. You already possess it. You already have eternal life. And that's kind of what Paul's getting at. You know, Christ put put aside his life, died for us, and rose again, so that we would be rescued from this present evil age. And that's the anyway. Uh, any last questions, everyone? Take a breath, right? Okay, breathe deep. Why do I wear two rings? This is my wedding ring, which my wife gave to me. This one is a ring that I got in Israel and actually in Bethlehem. And it says, which um, means the Lord bless you and keep you in Hebrew. So it's a I just thought it was a fun ring that I got. And it's, you know, the ironic benediction that we speak, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord makes his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yeah, it, that's those are the words that are engraved on the ring. Yeah. Yay. All right. Well, God bless everybody. Have a great week. And uh, yeah, Pastor Dan will be with you next time to continue on in chapter one.